Hello and welcome to an audition of the Sitcom Club. I am Mooncat and joining me, we found him at last, Ocho. Hello. Are you okay? Well, you know. You had a, what may be termed a funny five minutes last week. Gets to you after a while. I know. No, you've had a chance to chill and relax or chillax if you prefer. Oh! And possibly with a nice iced tea. No, no, I don't drink iced tea. It's a disgusting idea. Lipton. No, tea's milk, two sugars. Right, outstanding business. Squiddy, be on the show before with us. He tweeted us to confirm that there was a report in the Daily Star on Friday the 11th of January 1985 about the possibility of new episodes of Porridge. He says, Michael Grade was quoted as saying, after the Christmas success, we've discussed doing more porridge with Ronnie. Ron and the writers would love to do more episodes. Now, Mike Scott picks up on this and asks, would 80s porridge have worked if Fletch had become a sort of visiting mentor character, giving advice to prisoners? He then adds, probably not, but him as piggy in the middle between the governors and the convicts might have been interesting in Clement and Lefrenet's hands. I still like my idea of mentoring the House of Lords. I quite like the idea of like a fantasy-based thing where he would fall asleep at the beginning of each episode and imagine himself in a different kind of prison. Like the, <laughs> the Bastille or the village. It's sort of like a prison version of Mr. Ben. <laughs> That's getting dangerously close to trouble in mind territory, I reckon. <laughs> now, Lamp's Cat tweeted us when we released the Ropers into the community the other week. And he said simply, an American sitcom, whatever next? Norman Gunston. We've done American sitcoms before. We have done American sitcoms before. The reference to Norman Gunston actually, we're not that far removed, really, because we've watched a hell of a lot of Blankety Blanks. And if you're not familiar with Blankety Blanks, Blankety Blanks is the Australian version of Blankety Blank, which in America is called The Match Game. But I haven't yet seen Norman Gunston turn up on that. I don't know if he's going to. But we do see a little bit of sort of Australian culture from the 70s. We haven't really got into the Paul Hogan show yet, but I saw that when it was on Channel 4. We should do an Australian sitcom sometime. We should. Well, just actually, find a hook. Just find a date. There must be an Australia day. Right here tonight, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do when we do Australia Day. And yeah, isn't Australia Day, isn't it like something like February or something like that? Because didn't TVM, when they had their industrial action back in the day, they 26th pissed off... 26th of January. To, there you go, they pissed off to Australia for a week. So when we do Australian Sitcom Club, we will do the Australian versions of British shows. Have we not done this already? Because I've had this idea in my head for a couple of years. No, we, ha we haven't done it. So Father Dear Father... Love thy neighbour in Australia. Are you being served? Hancock. Doctor Down Under. Yeah, we'll have a good old Australia Day sitcom club and we'll do all of us at some point. And maybe we'll chuck in some Norman Gunston as well. Did he ever do a sitcom? Tweet us and let us know at the sitcom club. Anyway, today... It's the likely lads. And it's not whatever happened to the likely lads. It's not the likely lads the film. And it's not the Pipkins episode, the likely lads from 1974, which outrageously is lost from the ATV archives. We're talking about the original BBC show. As first seen in 1964, and out of three series, only eight episodes plus one mini Christmas show survive. And so we've watched them, haven't we? There must be plenty of people out there who don't know that original Black and White Likely Lads exists. Because I remember growing up, for the longest time, I thought 
The Likely Lads was a slightly depressing 70s show about two people having difficulties coping with adulthood. I did not realise it was a sequel. And I can't remember exactly when I found out that The Likely Lads was a 1960s show. What about you? I was familiar with whatever happened to before I was familiar with The Likely Lads. Somehow I knew that it was a sequel, but I'd never seen any of the originals. And I remember the BBC putting some out around about maybe sort of mid-1990s, thereabouts, but it was after, it was on the back of a successful run of repeats of whatever. They didn't start with Like Lads and then follow the whole thing chronologically. It was more, if you've just been enjoying the complete whatever happened to, here's a little peek at the original. But of course, the fact that there are only eight surviving editions, what does make it difficult to have a repeat run? But in terms of telling the story, you've got some pretty big gaps in there. Which I attempted to fill with the light programme, I think it was, re-recordings, the radio show, which even then doesn't cover every single episode, but also the episodes are in a different order, the stories are in a different order, and the very first episode of the radio version of The Likely Lads is one called Where Have All the Flowers Gone, which is almost whatever happened to The Likely Lads before whatever happened to the likely lads. It actually starts out with that theme of them adjusting to things changing around them and their youth maybe being over. There was a BBC4, I think, documentary, getting very vague here, and I think it was called 1960, The Year of the North. Because, don't giggle, I think we can point to the likely lads as being the sitcom end of the British New Wave, the kitchen sink dramas and all that kind of thing. Yeah, because this is when the time of being northern working class, not saying the 60s were necessarily a good time to be northern and working class, but they start to have more of a presence on their own terms. And this is a BBC Two show. I'm just wondering, can you think of anything that would indicate there's something not quite ready for BBC One yet, even though the shows did have BBC One repeats not long after? Is the overall topic of a couple of young fellas out on the pool, so to speak. Would that be considered perhaps just a little bit too racy for BBC yeah, One? Yeah, I'm just thinking that this must have been pretty bold, even for 1964. I'm thrashing about a little bit in the dark here because I don't have the complete context. We need to watch every single British sitcom up to and including the year 1964 to get an idea of how much a break with tradition this was. So that's what strikes me. It's a show that, and I can't remember what, there was something else where he said this show couldn't have happened 10 years earlier, and this is that kind of show. And you need to have had the movies that ran up to it. Of course, the obvious one being Billy Liar. There's actually one point, isn't there, where... Yes. Is it the episode with... Best of the Big Spenders. Yes. And Wendy Richard mentions Tom Courtney, and you think, is that a little (laughs) in-joke, or maybe even a little dig? Rodney Buse. <laughs> Do we ever get a real sense of where where they live? Because it feels to me that it is just the North. Because their accents don't match. And in the first episode, Audrey actually sounds Scouse. She does, doesn't she? Yeah, yes. it vanishes yes, <laughs> quite soon after. But it's just like, yes, they live in North Town. <laughs> I suppose you could say that... At this time, given that this is our first big northern sitcom, that precisely where they are in the north is perhaps 
it's not absolutely essential to get that across, is it? Because the fact that it's from the north, that's the significant part. So if they came out and said, this is the first old Liverpudlian sitcom or first old Newcastle sitcom or whatever it is, in, in a way, that part has been slightly undone by the fact that You've it's You've just said it's three words that caused the light to go off in my head there. From the north. We're seeing our first northern sitcom. Is it? Right now, thinking Granada sitcoms of that era, I can really only think of the army game. But what else have they done that we just don't know about? Well, hang on, when was Pardon the Expression? Is that later? I think that's 65, yes. But yeah, I don't think there's anything comparable to Light Lazar, which is about young northern men on the pull with their sexual boldness akin to Metal Mickey. (laughs) I can't think of an obvious candidate. If there's something that I'm missing here, then so be it. But do you know what? I've just had a horrible thought, and I'm really, really glad that this didn't happen. And I'm not suggesting that there was ever the slightest possibility of this happening. The show began, I believe, in December of 64. So what if, right, somebody at the BBC had said, you know those four young fellows from Liverpool? Why don't we do a show with them? And that actually, this could have been the show. The Laker lads could have been the Beatles. But, like, acting, and they would be the four young guys, as it would be, and Sheila Fern can keep her Liverpoolian accent. And that would be it. Sheila Fern is in Hard Day's Night. Ah, well, there you go then. So it all ties in. So, okay, so what do you reckon then? I'm going to be slightly blasphemous now and say it would have been crap. (laughs) Because as good as the Beatles are, and, you know, who the fuck am I to criticise the Beatles, for God's sake? They're musical geniuses, but they're not actors. So, therefore, it would have been shit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you seen Hard Day's Night? No, come on, come on, come on. They're naturals. No, they're not. No, Especially they're not. Ringo. I've seen Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's different though, isn't it? By that point, they've maybe overdone it a the little. The thing is, right, okay, what astonishes me about that is, I saw Magical Mystery Tour, but it was on BBC HD in 2012. So bear in mind that I'm looking at it in colour and high definition, and there was just enough bits and pieces to hold my interest over a really bloody long hour. Now imagine watching that in black and white in four or five lines on Boxing Day. Good God, man. No matter what ITV had on, I would have been there, let's be honest. I'm just trying to imagine this Beatles sitcom that they got to early enough before they become too big. Well, there's a thought. I think I might have to go now. (laughs) Spend the next week just thinking about it. You're not in a runner. You did that last week. You stay here. Right, now what they'd have to do... A hell of an idea, though. What they'd have to do is they'd have to get... Like, for example, you'd have to fill it full of proper, like, actors. to make it, like, like the Monkeys, for example. You'd have... Say, like, Michael Sheard, for example. He's in a few, like, lads episodes. You'd have, like, Sheila Fern and Michael Sheard, and you'd have all these old people come in, and they would sort of bolster it. And then you could have the, like, lads themselves running around and doing their stupid shit. And then you can get people like George Layton, for example. They'll come in and they'll do like the proper acting, you know, the proper comedics and what have you. And yeah, I suppose it might just sort of hold together in some way. But let's face it, it would have just been a novelty, wouldn't it? I mean, it would have just been a silly little novelty. It wouldn't have been a hilarious sitcom. Not even with Clement and Lafray at the pen. It just it wouldn't be the same. Just let me check. Did you just watch the TV episodes? I did. I did. Okay. Because... Over the length of however many episodes I have witnessed, 
there's something really basic here. Social climber and peasant. There's that. That is a recurring thing in this. And it's done in such a way that it feels fairly one-size-fits-all. Generic. Generic's not a bad word. So there is at the centre of this one of the most basic British sitcom ideas, which is class tension between two people who are just close enough together to cause friction. I suppose one thing I'm saying is it, it's not actually all that different from whatever happened to. Or did you get less of a feeling with that because you watched the eight, the eight existing ones, and we forgot about Christmas Night with the Stars? Until about, until about 10 minutes before we started this show. No, I didn't really get that impression because, like you say, I just watched eight television episodes. I got the sense that it was more a series of little self-contained half an hour episodes. I didn't really get the impression there was a strong story arc going through them. But of course, this is really unfair. Well, it's not so much a strong story arc. It's just this thing that's like, it's not that different from whatever happened to. But then there's another factor to take into account. I think there's been some rewriting beyond just translating from sight to sound. There's one particular thing that indicates that something has been changed from the television script. But it's also a matter of when. The TV series, 64 to 66. Pretty good time to be somebody like Terry and Bob. Though even then, I think as the mid-60s starts to turn, swinging London, not just England swinging, swinging London, so I think things maybe start to move away a little bit from the north already. The radio series is 67 and 68. So if you've got the picture in your mind of Bob and Terry as they were on the television, by 1968, even though the pace of cultural change isn't that quick, not everybody immediately grew their hair out and grew as a pat of moustache January 1st, 1967. <laughs> but you do get a feeling that it's done with an awareness that the culture around is changing and people like Bob and Terry are already beginning to get left behind. Because there's quite a few times in the radio episodes they go, in my day, in our day, and I don't know if it's stated in the 60s thing, and maybe it's a 70s thing, but there's this idea that they were both born in 1944, but it's the 60s. And I guess at 21, that is more of an official beginning of adulthood than it is now. And that by 25, you are a member of adult society. It's a little trick to play, isn't it? Look at people from the past and it's like they look so old i mean as far as john thor's concerned like, well john thor is saying. cheating yes john yes. thor is cheating john thor was younger than half the beatles <laughs> so right this beatles sitcom i think john thor should have been like the antagonist the, the, sorry no the likely lads just make a note of this and we'll put this to one side we'll come back to it so there's an episode of the beatles sitcom in which they enlist in the army and john thor is their captain okay how about that so should we do our little character sketches? You know, I don't like to be too much recapping episode by episode because that can get a bit dry. But let's talk about Bob and Terry. Bob, first of all, there is often the suggestion that he is a nice boy who is ever so slightly led astray by Terry. Well, episode one, right there at the beginning, we've already got the differences. They've come back from a holiday in Spain Bob has tried to sample the local culture, and Terry hasn't. And that's it. Terry's just gone out there for sun, but it's English food, English beer, and English girls. And Bob is slightly despairing of his friend's lack of sophistication. The idea that he can go out there and not try and get involved with 
the local culture. It's just already that sign that he sees himself a little bit above the ordinary run of people about him. Not that he's a snob. He'd be perfectly happy if everybody was moving with him. I don't think he needs anybody to look down on. Is there ever a time we're going to talk about a sitcom without talking about class? Well, the thing is that because we're talking almost exclusively about British sitcom in this podcast, and every sitcom, no matter what the premise is, it's still got to have an underlying basis in some sort of recognisable truth. And so as far as British sitcoms are concerned, there really isn't any getting away from the class system because otherwise it wouldn't be recognisably British, put it that way. So I think there's not a great deal more to say about Bob without delving into the episodes themselves. So Terry, he's happy in his life and quite chauvinistic about it. Though actually the rest of his family look down on him. Audrey despairs of him. But as far as I can tell, Bob and Terry are supposed to have pretty much identical backgrounds, aren't they? Yes, but I think there's just a little hint in there. Hey, okay, put it this way. Now we're delving into the completely unknown, because either on the evidence of the eight episodes I've seen, there's no conversation to suggest that this ever happened. And if it happened in any of the other 12 episodes, I don't know about it, because it's been wiped. But I get the impression that perhaps somewhere in their upbringing, Bob and Terry have probably been encouraged to, in some small way, better themselves, do well at school, and be told, look at this person down the street or this family member and so on, they've got themselves a nice little managerial post, you know, as as a nice alternative to manual labour. And for whatever reason, Bob has taken that on board and he's kept that with him. He's kept that ambition with him that he wants to better himself and he wants to do better than his father would have done and his father would have done and so on and so on. Whereas Terry for some reason has that rebellious streak in him. So it's almost as if he's gone completely the opposite direction. So if somebody suggests that he tries something, he not only doesn't try it, but he tries the complete opposite because he wants to be rebellious. He's not necessarily doing himself any favours by doing that, but that's really the way it is. It'd be interesting to see what, you know, the backstory is and then how they've ended up in that way, but it's quite commonplace, isn't it, really? And I'm just trying to think about maybe like the people that I went to school with, for example, different parts of the city, just like streets that were maybe like a few minutes walk away. You know, suddenly you're in areas with semi-detached, detached houses and so on, whereas, you know, just a little bit down the road, maybe it's like sort of terraced or it could be like the high rise flats or whatever it may be and yeah even in a relatively small area or hell even next door neighbors you can still have differences in outlook and differences in terms of priority or whatever it may be that lead bob and terry to be the way that they are audrey's an interesting character though and i'm trying to work out if she's been carefully designed or if she's meant to have been a certain type and been changed by sheila fern's performance when we first see her, she's got that very, very bleach blonde hair. And she's always got a cutting remark. And in a clumsier show, she'd just be brassy and fast. But she's not. She's a very warm character. And I really like that. I really like there's a sense that, no, you can be working class and dress up in a certain way that is the favoured way for your generation and location and class. But she's not a tart with a heart or any of that nonsense. It really quite nicely cuts through certain 
ideas with a slightly different actress i think it would have just fallen into something that would have been one more reason this is difficult to repeat because this is not going to get repeated very often now a black and white b the way they talk about women which i never got the feeling but it's very easy for me to say i never got the feeling this was a particularly nasty minded show i think it was like this is how it is if they talked any differently from this, it would ring false. But there's one line where, you know, we need to talk about sometime, maybe as a topic, men in old TV shows lusting after teenagers. <laughs> Isn't there a bit in the Sweeney? Or is it the Sweeney the movie? No, I think it's in the TV series. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. And there's a bit in, I think it's Where Have the Flowers Gone? It was in the radio one, where they're at a wedding and they're, ogling a couple of girls and then realise that they know these girls. And I think Bob says to Terry, she's still at school. And Terry says, I don't mind if she's in kindergarten. I fancy that. <laughs> and then Bob ogles another girl and it's like, well, she's the same age. Oh, so, so you used to sit her on your knee and tell her stories. He said, I could tell her a few stories now. <laughs> well, we've got one episode of The Like Lads where Bob finds out at the end of the evening that he's just been on a date with a 14-year-old girl. And if that was the storyline to a sitcom now, it would be like Bob suddenly just goes into hiding or something like that. Whereas he just sort of laughs it off. I want to come on to words they use in just a moment, but as far as the attitudes are concerned and the way that they behave and so on, just earlier on today, before we started recording, there was a little bit of a discussion on Twitter about the editions of Top of the Pops that are going out on BBC4 just now, and how there had been complaints to the BBC about some of the comments from guest host Roger Daltrey in 1980. There been complaints about the repeat? Indeed, because, okay... Well, I know where you're going with this. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not going there, actually. There is... Okay, but no, there was... that one comment was edited out. So this edition of Top of the Pops, 1980, it's Tommy Vance co-hosting with Roger Daltrey. They went for this little phase, which didn't last very long, where they had pop stars as co-hosts. They had Elton John the week before. This week, it's Roger Daltrey. And there's one remark that he makes about the village people that got cut from the BBC4 repeat. However... Otherwise, all of his links were left in, and he's just making comments like, for example, God, I want some gorgeous-looking birds around here, eh? And here's one of them, and introduces next act, and so on. Just general sexist remarks like that. And on this conversation on Twitter today, somebody posted this graphic of when BBC had repeated the first episode of EastEnders earlier this year, because it's the 30th anniversary. And the graphic said, coming up, Repeat of first edition of EastEnders from February 1985. Please be aware that this includes attitudes and dialogue that modern day viewers might find offensive. Now, surely that's sufficient for a show such as The Like of Lads to get repeat airing. Now, I tweeted this a few days ago. This made me laugh so much because it just it, it wasn't actually the thing itself it was just how out of the blue it was i was watching a sport channel from malaysia and they 
were promoting all the bits and pieces that they had and looked very, very similar to Sky in the UK and they were like promoting HBO stuff and there's True Detective and what have you and all this kind of, and there's Disney films. And then suddenly, hang on a minute, there's Barry Evans. They were plugging Mind Your Language being on their video on demand. I was gobsmacked, but then I'm thinking, okay, even that, why couldn't you put that out on ITV3 and just say, look, you know what this show's about? I'm not suggesting that they're going to start re-running Love Thy Neighbour. There are certain words and situations which simply wouldn't get a repeat airing today. But in the case of something like Leica Lads, I really don't see any good reason why this couldn't get an airing in 2015. Even with your little caveat just thrown in saying, look, you know, in case you haven't twigged, this show's from 1964, in case anybody hadn't realised that what they were looking at wasn't made this year. Now, having said all that about today's attitudes... The day we're recording this is the day of the England football tweet. Did you see that? I, you know, do you know what? I actually didn't. I didn't see that. Uh, so what happened in the Women's World Cup? Uh, the Women's World Cup, the England women's team came third effectively. They won the third place playoff after being knocked out in the semi-finals. There was a tweet from the official England... I don't know if it was the England team or just the official England football account that said, well, today they go back to being mothers, sisters, partners, wives, but to that they can add the title heroes. And this didn't go down very well. (laughs) So there we go. Tasteful, sensitive, touchy-feely 2015 for you. That's an interesting example, actually, because let's analyse this. Because quite often you see the hashtag on Twitter these days, everyday sexism. And I'm sure that that hashtag would have been attached to that today. And quite often it's things that are more subtle than that, which get picked up. Now, something like that, where they've intended it to be a nice congratulatory tweet and ended up making a fool of himself, effectively. Compare that to the honesty of Bob and Terry, where they're just outright saying, you know, they're two guys out for an evening and they're chatting up the ladies and it's quite obvious what they're seeking to get out of the evening and they're not really they're not being deceitful it's not like they're married or anything like that i mean which one of those two things is worse in the like of lads the characters are being very very honest about their intentions and it's not like it's trying to pretend to be something that it it isn't, do you know what I mean? I, I suspect that you probably get instances... It's kind of bringing me back to Audrey being a nicely balanced character. This is how Bob and Terry talk, but by the way, here is a woman with her own agency and her own character and her own personality and her own jokes and her own exposition, just so you know, just so you know that we can write women. Well, I suspect that if I was to watch every single sitcom since 1964 up until the present day, that I would find instances of everyday sexism that were appearing in shows which supposedly had a veneer of respectability about them, in the way that perhaps something like like that nowadays doesn't. Say, for example, shows from the late 1980s, early 1990s and so on, there's probably all manner of things in there which people look at with 2015 eyes and say, oh, that shouldn't be in there, and so on. And even today, like you said, you still get instances of that. Whereas, and then, okay, I know I'm saying this as a man, I wouldn't be uncomfortable watching the like lads with a partner. Do you know what I mean? 
Uh, whereas I, I, I would be if we were sitting there watching Benny Hill, for example. I never bought into the argument that Dennis Kirkland and others used to put forward, which is, oh, it's not, it's not him, he's not chasing the women, it's the women that's chasing him, which is just bullshit. If you actually look at the editions, you can see that that's actually plainly not true in many occasions. No, I wouldn't have a problem. Is this our new thing then, somebody in the room with you test? The somebody in the room with you test is particularly pointed for me. I mean, I'm actually getting sweaty pams just thinking about it right now because I'm a wrestling fan. If you're watching five minutes or five hours of wrestling, doesn't matter. There's always going to be a bit in that show where you think, thank God I'm watching this by myself. Oh, can you imagine if there were other people in the room right now and they're all just sort of looking at you thinking, you watch this? And any wrestling fans who are listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's always like a bit, if you watch Monday Night Raw these days and some backstage skit happens and oh, God almighty, it's just making me cringe just thinking about it. Speaking of which, how many times has Terry said by the cringe? I was getting flashbacks <laughs> to Dogfood Dan, Marvin Cowboy. Yes, no, I think actually that the watching it with somebody else test, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good way of looking at things. See, what Mooncat's not telling you is about his engagement. And they had the church booked and the hotel booked and the honeymoon booked. Tuxedos for the guys. Bridesmaids dresses booked. And uh, his fiancée just decided to drop by when he was watching Come Play With Me for Sitcom Club. And uh, there are rumours that the Scottish independence referendum was actually triggered by her making it so that Mooncow would have had to have a passport to come anywhere near her. To be honest, I think that, as upsetting as it was, I think that I would have been more uncomfortable if she'd said, oh, I've seen this seven times. This is a classic. You should see my HD print of it. (laughs) On the subject of the woman's voice in The Like Lads, you've got it's only the second episode, isn't it? Double date where you've got effectively a 50-50 split between Bob and Teddy. I didn't like that one. Didn't you? Yeah, do you know why? Can I hazard a guess? Go on. Because you were conscious that it was two men who were writing the script. No, it was because it caused me to have the song Summer Lovin' from Greece stuck in my head the entire freaking time after a certain point. They don't sing that in it. No, but it's that thing of, tell me more, tell me more, did she puke in your car, whatever, however it goes... (laughs) It's just cutting back between <laughs> the boys and the girls and how the dates went. Okay, I want to see this episode re-edited so it's got the goodies from Saturday Night Grease doing exactly <laughs> that. Just, I was conscious during Double Date that even though it's a sort of 50-50 split and we're getting guys' view and then the girls' view and so on, that it was still two men who were writing the dialogue. Whereas you've got shows such as, for example, Duty Free or Singles where you had Eric Chappell and Gene War writing. So there's a nice sort of balance there between the male and female voices. Don't you think the actresses deliver it quite naturally? So I'm thinking you can not necessarily take that as a 100% seal of approval but surely if they'd really missed the mark we'd be able to see it in awkward performances from the actresses. It would be interesting to have a woman's point of view on the female dialogue in this episode. Is there one thing that's out of place there? Is there something, just one little expression, or whatever it might be, that is inaccurate, or whatever it may be? I don't know. This podcast is rapidly becoming things that we should have done before we we recorded the podcast. So actually, do you know what? That's sort of fitting in a way, because I was going to say, outrageously, that 
I sort of look, this is unfair, I know, but I sort of look at the Like Lads as a series, as in some ways a prototype of whatever happened to. Now that sounds ridiculous because A, it's not being no, written. No, it does, that's what a, I've been saying. It sounds ridiculous to say because it's not being written with a view to we're going to revisit these characters in eight years. That's not the back of Clement Lafrenet's mind when they're writing this, but nonetheless, I can't help but see the Like Lads through the prism of the sequel. I also can't think of too many sequels which, by and large, are better than the original. But that's a whole other ball game, I suppose. But, yeah, there are bits and pieces about Bob and Teddy where I find myself slipping into... It is quite a sort of lazy reaction on my part. But if there's something which I think doesn't quite fit Bob or Teddy's character, for instance, I sort of think, oh, well, you know, they've ironed that out by the time you know they get into colour. And that was the last episode of first series, The Suitor. I didn't quite understand what Terry's problem was with Audrey going out with Mario, real name Ernie. It was like, you know, he had sort of opinions about what kind of a guy Mario was and unfavorably compared him to her last boyfriend and so on. But nonetheless, I was sort of thinking, what's it going to do with him? Wasn't there something about her staying out or staying in too much and that just some mild inconvenience that was being caused by the presence of Mario and the, the way the relationship was making her behave? It wasn't so much a case of they didn't like Mario. It's just if they broke her up with her boyfriend, she'd go out or stay in on a different night and that would be better for them. Maybe I missed that. I didn't pick up on that. I was just sort of thinking throughout. It was like... The attitude that Terry was coming out with would have been more fitting if it had been Audrey's father saying, for whatever reason, I'd rather she marry someone like this, or whatever it may have been. But it just seemed a bit odd, Terry taking such an interest. I you know, went along with it, because that was obviously the premise of the whole episode, but I still found it a bit strange as to, I was thinking, you know, would Terry really get all that concerned about it? Another thing I picked up from listening to all the radio episodes was there start to be comments after a while that Bob and Terry are spending too much time together. This whole shadow hanging over that they're going to get left behind by life. I just find it so interesting that the first episode of the radio one is the fact that their friends are getting married and they're not. I don't think it was the episode, but there is one where somebody says, well, when are you going to get married? And Terry gestures to Bob and says, well, he hasn't asked me yet. There's that sense that they're spending way too much time together and it is now going to prevent them from being proper adults. I might be reading too much, but another interesting thing, by virtue of being from 1967, little crack, spending too much time together, oh, you know, Bob says something like, we'll be taken for a pair of consenting adults. <laughs> I thought, consenting adults, that must have been a phrase that was going around the legalisation. 67 is a year of the exactly. legalisation in England That's Wales, a joke so. you wouldn't necessarily have been able to make before 1967. That was a nice bit of social history, I thought. Mm -hmm. Moving out of the world of changing social mores and edits, in the radio version of Talk of the Town, Bob has declared he's engaged to Thelma, and Thelma is in it, played by Susan Jameson. And what fascinates me is Thelma seems to be an unseen presence, from what I can tell from the, in, certainly in the third TV series, always a reference. And there are references to her in the other radio episodes, one called... Anchors aware, I think, whether it's going on a, a barge, going around, and Terry does the old pretending to be a pirate and goes, a vast behind, and Bob says, you leave Thelma out of this, which gets the longest laugh. 
<laughs> and it interests me then that Thelma's in Whatever Happened To. It's interesting that for some reason they they have her do a Beryl Marston, as we might call it, in the radio series. As far as I can tell, in the TV series, she is this unseen thing. And I imagine there are a few times where descriptions, which would probably give you this almost impossible to imagine person, and then to have her turn up in Whatever Happened To. It's interesting that you make the comparison with Belle Marston, because my problem with Belle Marston was that you see her in episode two as a glimpse, and it's like all the mistakes just gone out. Yeah, it's not, an, it's not even a big reveal. It's just like a cutaway shot to somebody waving, and that's Beryl. And yes, it does feel in the radio thing they've thrown Thelma away, but it does make me think were they trying to move towards a more whatever happened to style? Because. Another thing in um, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? If if you only have to listen to one radio episode, if you get hold of them, Where Have All the Flowers Gone, I think, is the one to focus on. You know the bit where Bob and Terry are going through the box of stuff in Whatever Happened To? And the autograph of Sherpa Tensing. And I don't know if it's a different episode. There's the discussion of the star system. Yeah, Held Hands, one star, and they're going through that thing. That's in there as well. Even down to the thing of how many stars you give it, or two and a half. Oh, how many stars do you have in your system? I had ten. I only had three. That's all reused in there. That all turns up later on. I guess so with anything, it's going to be a process of it being refined and refined and refined. So yes, it makes sense that there'd be bits and pieces in the radio shows where, if for whatever reason, sort of retrospectively, Clement and Lafrenet sort of felt, yeah, that didn't quite fit or whatever it may be. Yeah, you've got an opportunity to revise it. But just as I say, where have all the flowers gone? There is one point where they're talking about a new nightclub and one of them uses the phrase, they had nothing like that in our day. Was the last episode of the third series definitely meant to be 100% not coming back last episode? Well, it has that feel, but we've already had Bob spend a bit of time away and then get rejected. So it's not like it's going to take a colossal amount of effort to get Terry back for a fourth series. I almost wonder if it's a hedge betting exercise. Right, if we don't get recommissioned, it's got a bank crash ending. If we do, it's really only going to take a couple of strokes of the pen to undo the ending. It's like I'm almost saying I sort of wish that it hadn't come back as whatever happened to. It had just kept going and going and going, and we'd watched the changes around them. I certainly think if there's a fourth series, you would have started to get more of a theme of Bob and Terry's youth ending. Okay, now on that topic, I know that quite often I like to just come out with what you might term nonsense, but I am not actually doing that on this occasion. This is a legit, proper suggestion, okay? The initially Thames, then Yorkshire sitcom Dear Mother, Love Albert, which stars and is, I think, is it co-written and co-produced by Rodney Bewes? And it's all about Rodney Buse's character, his move from the north down to London. Is that, do you think, really, Bob? Do you think that that's potentially, if whatever happened to didn't happen, if that hadn't happened later on, do we think that that's sort of like, maybe that's where Bob went? Because Bob was thinking of leaving everything behind and going off and joining the army. It didn't work out for him. So going off down to London to seek his long-term career and happiness and so on, so that makes sense. I don't know, because I found that one episode we watched to be something of a chore. 
It's all the women love Albert. Speaking of the last episode, because whatever happened to exists, that ending seems a lot more bitter. If the show had never come back, you can think, oh, that's a good ending, that's a good punchline. But because (laughs) we then pick up and it's like, yes, I was aware and I missed the latter half of my youth and I missed the permissive society, it does make that ending a bit more of a twist of the knife, even though he signed on for the extra two years. Well, you could sort of argue that by that point, he would have signed on for the extra two years in 1969-1970, so you could say that he's already missed a great deal of the big year social change as far as legislation is concerned at 68. And so he might have taken the view, well, you know, I've got you know relatively good gig here, I might as well just stay here and munch and glad back. But yes, I know what you mean. You can't help but think when you see that last scene, it's like... They're going to be face-to-face in a few years in a dark compartment on a train and there's going to be Bob laughing about his friend who got stuck in the army telling the story to what he thinks is a complete stranger. (laughs) It is such a shame there's so many episodes missing because you only really get part of the picture here, don't you? Yes, yeah, I think it would be thought of very differently if we were able to go back and check it all. But I'm not sure it wouldn't start to get a bit samey. But I just don't know how much change has happened in the radio versions. The radio versions seem to have a lot more Bob and Terry get a harebrained idea and pursue it. Which is one of the things, it's the advantage of having a sitcom about young people, is they can have strange beliefs and act on them. The one where they go on the barge and Bob seems to think, oh, that's another word they use to to describe women, spare. There's so much spare down there. But just they, they can be naive, they can act on their naivety without them looking kind of stupid and you should know better it's it's okay if they're in the early 20s and society is changing at a rapid pace but yes it just occasionally it's like yes bob and terry get an idea in their heads pursue it and make themselves look fools might seem to be a bit of a repetition okay now let us because we're probably going to talk about whatever happened to it at some point and we'll probably look at the film as well let's consider this to conclude it is currently july okay so let's say that around about maybe september or so the bbc announces that as part of their christmas lineup you know where i'm going with this we're going to find out just whatever happened to whatever happened to the likely lads they're going to come back for one christmas special like they did with to the manor born and we're going to see how it's received and if it's well received it could turn into potentially a new series and so on what do we think it's a big risk i can see it turning out like still open all hours which as i said that not that still open all hours was dreadful or oh great to have it back but just that thing that nobody seemed to be engaged with it at the same time i think i described it as having like different lights representing different people's engagement and they were not all lit up at once Oh yeah, Roy Clark seems to have got himself in a nice groove here, but David Jason seems to be flagging, and oh no, now the writing seems to be getting a little bit routine, but David Jason seems to be really up for it. And you got Bridget Forsyth. Part of me really wants to see it, to be honest, because I think that it probably would still be pretty good and probably better than most of the shows around today, but at the same time, there is that danger that it's, you know, going to be 
full of references to iPods and Millie Cyrus and whatever. And actually, do you know what? I've just realised that as I've said those two things, I've just realised they're actually both slightly dated references. Bloody hell. I should have said I watch and Taylor Swift. That's what I should have said. All right, what do we think? Do we want to speculate just now on what happened to Like Lads? Where do we think that would be? The story that was going around that Clementine Lefrenet had had an idea at one point that was going to see Bob eaten up by Free Enterprise and spat out, whereas Terry had twisted his ankle on a loose paving stone and collected a fortune in damages, which I always thought sounded kind of terrible. If they've just somehow switched places, I don't know. Because realistically, Bob would have just faded into the wallpaper. He'd just be a suburban grandpa. And I can see Terry just being a very lonely, bitter old man. Do we think that Bob and Terry stayed in contact with each other over the past 40 years? Or is it going to be another case that they're suddenly going to see each other out of the blue? But this time they've got 40 years I can't see anything without it coming across as either contrived or a bit bleak. They've been going to the pub for 40 years. I think you'd just need... I can only really see it as a special, not a series, and you'd have to have a really strong premise. Well, when you say reunited, what are we saying that it's taken 40 years for the end of the movie to resolve itself? Well, it took 40 years for Bob to get off that <laughs> tanker. <laughs> we'll leave that. We don't need to actually have a direct link to the end of the film. Because it is actually possible, when now I think about it, that maybe some of the radio episodes were still being made around about that time as well. So maybe we have to take it from the end of those as the, the very last piece of Like the Lads that there is. Did they actually but, make a movie called Alien vs. Predator? I believe that they I did. I'm really not the person book, to ask but, about this. Yeah. But. So you can actually have that clash of franchises. Likely Lads vs. Liverbirds. Ooh! Christmas Night with the Stars. Why was there not an overlap between the Laker Lads and the Liverbirds, where you'd think that Bob and Sandra would gravitate towards each other, and Terry and Beryl, likewise. But who knows? Maybe opposites attract. Liver butterflies. Last of the likely lads. <laughs> the likely goodies. Well, we've already had the return of the goodies. That was ten years the ago. The land of Bob and Gloria. Oh, I've got to tell you, I had a dream about that the other week. <laughs> I had a dream that there was a second series of that doing the rounds. But I think they'd actually forgotten to put dialogue in about 50% of it. Honey for Terry. <laughs> well, we can but hope. We have a topic to come back to. We can but hope. Sitcom mashups. <laughs> no, sincerely, let's try and think of some really good ideas. Map of the Sitcom Universe 2. We've tried to forge links. Now we're saying what links need to be forged. Right. Okay. I can't take sincerely and live or butterflies in the same sentence. Just goody friends. Only fools and dustbin men. <laughs> Are you pretty much restricted to Tim Wilton, but that's fine. Whatever happened to the whackers? <laughs> And by the way, I can confirm that staring me in the face right now is the Wackers DVD. It's separated by one DVD from whatever happened to Like Lads, and in between the two is the Dustbin Men. I haven't made that up. That really is what's in front of me just now. Likely Lads behaving badly, and I want that to be really bleak. Well, do we think that men behaving badly is effectively 
the 1990s version of the Legolands. Although actually it isn't really because they're about sort of 10 years older than Bob and Terry, really. So it's not quite. What are we mashing up with Hallelujah? Because I've just spotted that on the shelf as well. Oh no, it's The Office. <laughs> You're only young cowboys. And have a decreasing romance. <laughs> Right, so we can only hope that the Like Lads return for Christmas time on BBC One. Let's make this happen. I never knew you hoped it would rain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. Okay. (laughs) So next time, before we break up for summer recess, our concluding sitcom club before our tea and crumpets. That's what you have at summertime, isn't it? And we're going to be looking at the other one. Esmond and Larby again. Richard Briars and Michael Gambon. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time because I think there might, there's actually some debate. It's, maybe we need to research this as to whether it just has a ending or whether that is the cliffhanger for a third series that never comes. But I think we're going to have a lot to talk about because we like to get our teeth into the characters and the character interplay shifts here. Also, the thing that it has two distinct phases, but not not nicely divided up into Series 1 and Series 2. Phase 2 actually starts before Series 2. So next week, the other one. And in the meantime, you can check out all of our previous 80 or so podcasts. They're all available. You can get hold of them at sitcomclub.com or at podnose.com. Listen to them on SoundCloud, if you prefer. In the meantime, Ocho. Dad's spats. <laughs> so before we go, all being well, tomorrow we should have the latest Jaffa Cakes for Bruce. I know we have scheduled slippage by a week. There's good reasons for that. That was my fault. I was going places. And we're going to be taking one of our occasional trips to the cinema. So, Ocho, you've been Ocho. I've been Mooncat. And this has been the Sitcom Club. <laughs>